Welcome to Video Store. My name is Sam Mulberry. Today we are talking about the 1970 Barbara Loden film Wanda. So let's step into Barrett Fisher's Video Store. Barrett, how you doing? I'm doing great, Sam. Barrett, um, this was a movie that I had never heard of. Um, it uh, It's number 48 on the sight and sound list, um, tied with a movie that I love, Ordet, tied at 48. Um, which is pretty high on this list because uh, Barbara Loden is, along with Charles Lawton, a, a one-and-done director, where this is the, really the only film that she made um, for different reasons than Lawton, but also maybe some, you know, some some, mm-hmm. some other similarities there, too. Uh, again, I had never heard of this. I'm curious, what was what is your history with this film? Is this something you had seen before or you were watching for this? No, uh, like you, Sam, I had not actually even heard of it. And it just came to my attention because it was on the sight and sound list. And I wanted to do a series on women directors on the sight and sound list. And so that's 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 how I got into it. Well, which which speaks to when we talked about this on our sight and sound episode, like, why does a list like this matter? Well, this movie is is part of a canon now being on this list and uh you know it's 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 sitting there on the criterion channel and if somebody's looking through this list and you know right between barry linton and ordette is wanda and it's like okay well i should check this thing out and uh um so so what drew your attention to it was being on this list um what were your first impressions Well, well i should say this did you know anything about it when you started watching it no Okay. So what were your first impressions? I love this fact because I want to know like what it felt like for you to watch this because I definitely had multiple feelings watching it. Oh, first impressions. Um I I I didn't I didn't expect um something that was almost a uh a cinema verite, neorealist, um kind of almost a John Cassavetes style film. And so once I realized that's what I was getting, I was—I had no idea that there was a woman. I, this is part of the mix of the film, right? No idea there was a woman making making a film like that. Mm-hmm. You know, where we watched Anya Svardos, you know, Cleo from five to seven and sixty-two, and even though that's a new wave film, and you could say there's a little bit of new wave to Loden, but it's much—it's much rawer than that. Yeah, um, and I, I guess that's what I didn't expect. How raw it is. Yeah, I was I I was watching it and thought, you know, this this is at the intersection of some things that I really like. Mm-hmm. Um that, that that this podcast has introduced me to. Um the the kind of you know neorealism part really excited me, you know, and I'm sure I'll say this multiple times in this uh in this episode, but like I kept feeling like I was in the most real spaces in the world, but also places I had never been before, mm-hmm. like a combination of those two things. But, but I had no doubt that they were just, this is just what it was, you know? And, and, you know, part of that is doing some, you know, neorealist stuff, the verite filmmaking, real locations um, with the exception of two people, everybody else is a, um, uh non-professional actor and sometimes people they found the day of and were like hey do you want to be in this we need somebody to do this and um and uh so i felt like a lot of this was created in the moment so there's sort of this excitement you you get from that definitely stolen shots right they they, they were not paying for permits to shoot things they were just shooting um and then you know about halfway through the film i did feel a little bit more like uh french new wave stuff where where it becomes a 
genre film a little bit. Yes. Like, like, and, and that actually was another moment of like kind of shock to me because I felt like we were going in a particular direction. And then it's like, oh, and then it and then and then it sort of had this other switch to it. And I started feeling like, oh, now I feel like I'm watching Bonnie and Clyde if it was made by a female auteur who was interested in harsh realism rather than some sort of stylization who was not interested in making anything about this movie cool i was like this is really interesting no that is exactly right sam i mean Lar- loden herself said you know that this is kind of an anti-bonnie and Clyde, and she was really um irritated by the glamorization uh of the bonnie and Clyde characters particularly the way that fate on away kind of became a kind of a fashion uh, icon. So she's deli- she's really deliberate, she, deliberately um, working against that Hollywood mainstream, which is a little ironic because her husband was Ilya Kazan, um, you know, the great director of things like On the Waterfront and East of Eden. And he even made a film based on their, based on a novel he wrote, which is about their marriage called The Arrangement. Um, uh, anyway, so 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 she's so she's kind of re- really pushing very hard against that that kind of Hollywood tradition. The other thing we should say about the look of the film is it was shot in 16 mil uh, and then uh, enlarged into 35. Um, but that's why it's got that kind of, in addition to the rawness of the the settings, it's got that grainy quality mm-hmm. as well. So it never lets you forget in the sense that you're watching a film, but at the same time, it's not a slick Hollywood presentation of reality. Right. And that was both because of cost, but it's also what Loden wanted. I mean, listening to her and that this that that may have been justifying a reality, but when you listen to interviews with her, she like that like she was like, I wanted it to look I wanted it to look like that. I didn't want it to feel to feel slick in any way. So here so here's what I'm curious about. Um, how did you feel when the movie made that turn? Because um, I was—I I feel like I went through all of these different um, kind of movie-watching emotions. So I can list four reactions that I had that are all contradictory. Um, but I'm curious, sort of, where you felt. Part of me felt like, and I felt like I felt like I read this in some reviews of the film. It's like, oh, now this is becoming like an actual movie. In, in quotes, movie. Like it—it it has now I can see like a, a discernible plot and genre and it's, be, it's clicked into something I've seen before. And even things like when they're driving through, when they're driving through the city and it's like, Oh, this actually just looks like a movie. Now there was a little bit of that feel, which is a positive. Maybe I also had the feeling of like this movie, which felt totally real now it just feels like a movie. It's like, like it be like it, like it, it lost something almost, but it, you know, so those are contradictory fe- feelings, right? Mm-hmm. That it like it, it stopped kind of being one thing, and then it, and then it 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 um embraced a structure that it didn't necessarily have before. So it was both surprising, and I was wondering, well, is this inevitable that everything has to eventually become something recognizable? And I think I had all of these different reactions, um, uh, and those are more like in the moment reactions. And then when I took a step back, I could think differently about it. I'm curious, what was your feeling when? kind of the the not when Mr. Dennis is introduced because I think that's actually exciting and interesting and strange but when he sort of felt like oh this is what it's becoming now well I yeah I, that, that was part of my response Sam in terms of you know saying oh okay now I now I get the genre now it's become a heist movie uh it, it was it was kind of just a vague road movie and now it's a heist movie so yeah there's part of that you know consolation of genre but actually I think for me what 
what began to happen was I started wondering what's the nature of the relationship with Mr. Dennis. Mm-hmm. So, so to me, it became a, a kind of a domestic drama. It's like, you know, so because oddly enough, the times when Wanda has the least agency are with Mr. Dennis, but the time when she has the most agency are with Mr. Dennis, when she makes the decisions at several points to stay with him, um, you know, beginning from when she goes out for the hamburger and she comes back with a hamburger, she just could have taken the money and run, uh, but she doesn't do that. So to me, it was it was interesting that it had become a genre bank robber film, but even more interesting that I kept wondering what's going to happen with this relationship. Um, and I found it fascinating the way that they would they would pull in and then they would they would go back. So like in the same scene where he puts the coat around her her shoulders when she's sitting on the car, he also calls her stupid and berates her for her hair. So I found that kind of back and forth, you know, intimate uh, and, and controlling. I, I found that kind of fascinating. Absolutely. No. And that's exactly, I have pages of like, I want to talk about these characters because, because that's exactly, it is like, there's all these questions that I have about them. And it's not that she doesn't provide information. It's just what she provides is really interesting to think about um, kind of how they both end up there and why they stay there. Um, So things we should say about this movie, this movie is very inexpensive. Um, uh, So this movie was around a hundred thousand dollars for a budget. Um, it has two professional actors. It has a crew of two or three people. Mm-hmm. Um, like we said, largely improvised dialogue with non-professional actors. But when the film begins, you can tell instantly that you're in the hands of both a really interesting storyteller and a filmmaker. So I want to talk about the beginning of this movie because this movie announces itself in a couple different ways where if I had any if I had any misgivings about like how what is this movie going to be? It's like she assuages them right away. So so it opens with these, like, you know, the, these Pennsylvania coal, I don't know the terminology, coal pits or heaps or whatever those are, <laughs> right? And then you see, you know, you see the backhoes and bulldovers, dozers, and then you see this house that is right <laughs> there. And obviously, again, with that budget, they didn't build that house. That house <laughs> is just right there. So um, it's this, it's like, obviously a real location but it also feels like it's on the moon like like it's like like you get both of those things in that just those introductory shots like you're in a real place you're going to see real people real america but at the same time you're going to see something that that feels so foreign and then you go into the house and you hear the baby crying and you see a woman wake up and you see her husband wake up and he leaves and you're like okay this is wanda yeah. And then it's like, great misdirect. This is not this is not who this movie's going to be about. And then you meet Wanda on the couch, and you're like, okay, interesting, like interesting storyteller. And then the next shot is the shot that tells you if you're not sure you're in the hands of a filmmaker yet, the the long, mm-hmm. you know, long, long shot of her walking across this. Again, it looks like it might as well be the surface of the moon, and she is mm-hmm. this white speck, and it's shot mm-hmm. in it's both long in terms of time, but mm-hmm. also in terms of distance, where you know for you can barely make her out at first, and they hold on that for a long time as she navigates this. And it it gives you this sort it's almost like a thesis statement about like, here is this woman in this world. And it was when I got to that point, I'm like, okay, I'm in. Like, like what wherever you're gonna take me. You're 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 an interesting filmmaker, and I, and I 
I think it's interesting to think about how movies and filmmakers announce themselves in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I I have to say to Sam that maybe this uh, maybe this says more about my obsessions than anything else. But when I saw that house and where it was located, I thought immediately of uh, of the house in um, Racerhead. Uh, oh yeah, in, me too. In, yeah, in the in the industrial dis- district. Uh, but 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 as you said, this is real. I mean, they didn't build this house and put it in this location. That's re- that's really where it is. Um, one, one, this may be, this may be too clever by halves, but one reviewer that I read wondered whether the name Wanda was actually supposed to make you think of Wanderer. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think the way that that shot you talked about shows her as just this speck in, in, in the landscape. And it suggests, I think kind of foreshadows the fact that her life is just a kind of a wandering. She just doesn't really know what direction she wants to go in. And so you see her on that kind of barren landscape. And that's, as you said, that's sort of the thesis statement for the film. Yeah. And, and it's interesting because what made me, I also thought of a racer head, but I, the long shot made me think of a racer head, the sort of scenes where you see yeah. the character dwarfed by, you know, and this is, this is industrial in a different way, but no, I, I definitely, definitely had those thoughts. Okay. So, so we have, we have this, and then we go to um, one of the great scenes I think in terms of playing with expectations about what this movie is going to be, because I will say when it started, I thought, Oh, I've seen this movie before, not this specific movie, but this is the kind of movie my mom likes. It's about like poor people overcoming. I mean, I I feel like the fact that it's set in Pennsylvania coal country and it's like, this is going to be like coal miners daughter or something (laughs) like that. Okay. So then we go to the court scene. Yeah. And if you thought this was one movie, she says, nope, this I'm going to I'm going to tell you something about this character. So what when it's a you know, it's this small court um, and your expectations is you're going to see this woman who is crushed by life and by society, try to fight for her family and her children and have them torn away from her. That's what this scene is supposed to be. That's what a lifetime of watching movies like this is. Instead, she walks in and says, if he wants the divorce, give him to her. The kids are probably better off with, and you're like, who, who is this person at that point? The movie can be anything to me. And like mm-hmm. that, that actually was, I mean, it's a very depressing scene, but as a thinking of a film and a story, I that, that was the moment where I just thought she has completely like flipped what I thought I was watching. And now I'm really interested in, and, and that's, it's probably the first 15 minutes of the movie. It's like, now I'm really interested in where she wants to take this. And, and I want to say, Sam, a couple things. One is that, and I'm sure this is, you know, be a bigger topic of conversation, is that this a scene like that is one of the reasons why the film was so alienating for feminists of the of, of the time, right? Because she doesn't seem to have any agency. She doesn't seem to want to stand up for herself. And the scene that comes before this, the scene when she goes to the factory and she has that conversation about collecting her paycheck and how much has been taken out and and, and then she's told, you know, you're just not fast enough. You're not good enough to do this work. And after all that rejection, rather than arguing with the boss, she says, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So so I think that that, that that just sets up this kind of, and it was baffling for me, right? Because I had seen, you know, I had seen films of this period. There's a whole bunch of films of this period coming out that are kind of talking about the, you know, uh, about the agency of women and, and I thought, really, she's going to give us a character that just kind of takes it like that. And then she becomes a challenging character to figure out how do you how do you empathize or identify with her? Mm-hmm. Because it just seems like 
she's just taking it. And so, so to me, that, that became the other challenge early on in the film. Like, how am I going to engage with, with Wanda when I have such a hard time understanding why she's just accepting, uh, accepting uh, her fate? Yeah, I mean, she seems, I mean, it's like, it's like Loden wants to make her unlikable, Yeah, you know, to be like, like, this is, this is not the champion of anything. And then, and then, you know, the movie goes on and, and uh, it's interesting to think about how you feel, um, how you feel by the time you get to the end. Now, it's interesting, you're talking about like, wandering and and things like this. And, and, um, and I think about all of the pieces of mid 20th century, kind of post World War Two, mid 20th century art, uh, particularly novels that I really love that are about people who are kind of rootless and wandering. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, the things that came to mind, and these are, these are classics of American uh, 20th century American literature. I think about like Jack Kerouac on the road or Saul mm-hmm. Bellows adventures of Augie March, or even Holden Caulfield kind of wandering through New York. And it's like, okay, this is a story about a person wandering, but where those stories have male protagonists who have, <laughs> some degree of agency or like that they're on an adventure. Her story is so much more harrowing because it's like, she doesn't have those things and whether it's she, and I think this is maybe what the movie's asking a little bit is why does she not have those things? Why can I point to all of these works of art about male characters going through this similar thing and they're, they don't have the same quality to it. You know, I think that's a question she's, she's raising, right? Because you get the sort of rejection from the factory and not even putting up a fight. You get her when she goes to the bar and is picked up by that guy. And then they, and then they cut to the hotel and he's trying to sneak out and she's trying to stay with him. And then he abandons her at the dairy queen. And they're just as sort of like, she feels like she's being literally treated like a piece of trash Mm -hmm. by, you know, by this, uh, by this person, she goes to the movies and gets robbed. Right. And all these things lead her to sort of the, the moment where she walks into the bar that uh, Mr. Dennis is in the, the process of robbing. I want to go back to the court scene for just a minute, though, because I do think that something important is going on there, and it is part of Loden's kind of feminist statement, and that is Wanda often doesn't know what she wants, but she often knows what she doesn't want. Mm-hmm. And you know, so and you know, another way to read the courtroom scene is I'm not going to fight for the kids. I'm not going to fight for the husband because the fact is. I don't want to be a housewife and I don't want to be a mother. Um, so what are my options? Well, well, unfortunately, it's just suggested, you know, the next option looks to be, well, maybe I'll be a prostitute, which of course is just another kind of stereotype. Um, but I think to me that that, that became really key to, to, think, to see that, that Wanda, it's often clearer to her what she doesn't want than what she does want. And it's not clear whether she, whether she actually has any genuine options open to her. Right. right. Is, is, is freedom for her opportunity or is it a void? Yeah. And it yeah. feels more like it's a void for her where it's like, okay, I have in a sense taken off the shackles of marriage and family and all of this, but where does that leave me? Yes. Yeah. But there's, there, but there's all, there's also a, a kind of, um, I, I wouldn't go so far to say holy fool element to her. But there is a kind of childishness to her, childlikeness to her. Like when she has very little money, what does she do? She gets a beer. She goes to the movies. I mean, it it seems like a really, for somebody with limited resources, 
these seem like really odd choices to make, but, but it's, it's almost like a kid, like, you know, Oh, I got some money. I'm going to go, I'm going to go watch a movie. So there's, there's also this sense of, um, at least at the, at the beginning of the film, there's a sense of almost weightlessness about her. Like yeah. she really is floating through the world. Yeah, uh, and, and that opening shot, that speck against the landscape, it is almost as though she's kind of floating through the world in that shot. Well, it's also interesting because I, as I was taking notes, I watched this a second time and was taking notes on it. And I was like, she seems so passive, but at the same time, there are moments where she's so persistent about things. Like, think about the scene where where she first meets Mr. Dennis. She basically walks into a bar that yeah. is empty and the guy says we're closed. Mm-hmm. And she comes in and is like, no, I just need to use the bathroom, which she goes in and spends all the time she wants in there. Mm-hmm. Then she she walks out and sits down at the bar and says, can I get a drink? And she starts eating chips and it's and she asks yeah. for a comb and it's or, and it's just like like she has. The, and even when they're sitting at the after that, when they're sitting at the restaurant and they're eating. And he's like criticizing her for being sloppy as she, but she's just like, can I have this last piece of bread? And, and she's very like verbal in those moments too, where he's such a quiet person and she's just, it's almost like no one's ever, um, there's never been an opportunity for her to talk. So it's almost like this is the first time she's getting to say whatever she wants to say. Mm -hmm. And it may or may not be interesting, but she's going to say it, you know? And so so I I found that interesting. Of course, what what I love about that bar scene is that she breaks in on his robbery. Yes. And, and you're right. There's there's a way. We, and, and you could say it's partly cluelessness. Right. She has no idea what's going on. But it, but but she does. She does kind of take control of the, of the situation in a way. So I want to think about the, something you brought up, which I think is at the core of this movie, which is like. Do, is there something she wants? Because that in in that scene um, when they're later on with Dennis, when they're kind of having that picnic that's actually the thing that that Dennis I mean he names it in the movie what you know when he calls her stupid what the next thing he says is you don't want anything you won't if you don't want anything you won't have anything you don't have anything you're nothing you may as well be dead you're not even a citizen of the United States is that's what you want to be dead and and it's like like he is naming to her like like kind of asking like like are there things you want what do you want um, and it, it's a it's a strange character to be he's a strange character to be the person bringing that up to her. Um, but um, but what do you think about what is motivating Wanda beyond just the the winds that are sweeping her in different directions? I think she wants to be paid attention to. Um, I, I think she wants structure. Uh, and for all the imperfection of the relationship with Mr. Dennis, he provides that, even though the attention he pays to her is often abusive and manipulative and controlling, at least he is giving her that, that kind of attention. I mean, I think we should say at this point, Sam, that the, the movie is based on a, a, a real life incident that, that Loden read about where a woman named Wanda was an accomplice in a bank robbery. And when the judge sentenced her to 20 years in prison, she said, thank you. Which is which is very very odd response, right? Except if you say, "I don't know where I belong," and a judge tells you, "Well, you belong in jail for twenty years," you say, "Thank you," because now you know where you belong. Uh, and and I think that I think in a way that's what Wanda is looking for. So it's kind of back to that that idea. She knows that she doesn't fit into the housewife mother mold, 
And she's not sure initially that she fits into the bank robber mold um, because, you know, early on she says to him, hey, when they're stealing the first car, you know, what are you trying to get me into? And there's a sense that, you know, I don't think I want to do something criminal, but on the other hand, I don't know what else I want to do. So I think she's looking for somebody to give her some kind of direction. He tells her she can't wear slacks anymore. So now she's going to wear a, a dress. Um, and she kind of takes that because, well, at least somebody is paying some kind of attention. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because it's, it's, it's both based on that story that, that uh, Loden writes and also a degree her, to her own story in terms yeah. of like, like she had to sort of escape to New York to realize how much bigger she grew up, I think in North Carolina. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And to like, to realize how big the world was and what opportunities were out there for someone, um, you know, where, where I think had she, had she not left, like, like her life probably is on a, different trajectory so she needed to break from that um and i think the uh in wanda she's maybe exploring a similar take on that story if the circumstances had been very different you know if, yeah, if, and, if the and, wind's blowing a different direction yeah and she's also she also said that even you know for her life after coming to new york and after meeting kazan and after starring in movies and she was, I should probably note that one of her most notable uh, achievements was she was on Broadway as Marilyn, the Marilyn Monroe character in Arthur Miller's After the Fall. Uh, Kazan cast her in um, opposite um, uh, Warren Beatty's Splendor in the Grass. But even after all that, she still said that Wanda was in some ways a semi-autobiographical film because she still, she still felt as though she wasn't quite sure what her direction in life was. She felt passive at times. Um, and so I think there's a, she puts a lot of herself into that character of Wanda. Let's talk about Mr. Dennis. Um, how would you describe him? <laughs> um, well, okay. Let, 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 let me evade the question for just a minute to say that one of the way, one of the genre things I thought this movie was going to do, but it really didn't was I thought at some point we were going to have Mr. Dennis die of some kind of a seizure because of this headache that he has. Mm -hmm. And so he kept popping I, aspirin. Yeah, popping the, pop, pop, popping the aspirin. Um, but Mr. Dennis turns out to be a little more complex than I, than I realized. I mean, that scene with his father, um, you know, you get, you get the sense that he himself is kind of a rootless guy who's kind of trying to figure it out. He's obviously not a very, a very accomplished criminal. Uh, he really is kind of, is kind of in, incompetent and also uh, incapable of any genuine intimacy uh, for whatever reason. You know, uh, when he first gets angry at her because she's talking in bed, uh, he says, you know, I don't like people talking. I don't like people touching me. She goes to touch his head. I don't like people touching me. I don't me. like friendly people, he says. Friendly people. Yeah, I mean, he's he's obviously somebody who's been deeply damaged in some way, but but you don't know exactly what it, what it is. So, um, and, and despite the fact that he's terribly unlikable, I, I do feel bad when he, dies at the, when he dies at the end because he's just... I, I don't know. He's in a in a way you could say he's the opposite of Wanda because he knows what he wants and he and he goes for it, but he's just as unsuccessful in a sense as she is. Yeah, and I what I what I found interesting about him. I mean, there's lots of things I find interesting about him. Um, is that in this movie, it, it is also like has weird criminal procedural elements to it. Like there's certain things that he does. It's like oh, it never occurred to me to like go through a parking lot 
and just see what cars were open and see what you could get and maybe collect a change of clothes. And, and then he like dumps the other clothes in the goodwill, which is kind of Robin hoodie, I guess, you know, like, and it's, it's like, you know, and that, that's like, Oh, that's interesting. Like he's, he has some sort of, you know, method, uh, method to what he's doing. Um, why do you think he keeps Wando with him? Because then, because all the things you said would seem like, I mean, he does seem like a loner who shuts himself off from people, and he's definitely inviting her to leave. But just because you you say, "Hey, if you want to go, go," doesn't mean you want them to leave. And she stays. She is somebody who's been abandoned by everybody else, but he doesn't. Uh, he he stays with her, and you know, it's not just because she can be a driver in his big bank heist. Cause you know, there is a scene where he's looking for another driver, but there is something else that seems to draw, draw her to him or draw him to her. Okay. Before I get into that, Sam, can I just note that the one moment of, of humor in the film is the first car they steal. Yes. He's dumping the car. She, she sees the keys and she says, why not use these? I just thought that was great. Um, I, I guess I'm tempted to give a kind of cliche answer because uh, I don't have a better one right now. But my cliche answer would be it's sexual politics. Uh, and that it's, it you know, he's a little guy trying to make his way in the world, trying to control his world. And at least having Wanda there as someone he can control gives him some sense of of power on his own and he and also i do think that he almost in spite of himself begins to gain affection for her Mm -hmm. so you have the coat around her shoulders you have him in the hotel convincing her that she can do this when she doesn't want to do the robbery now obviously he's acting in self-interest but at the same time he really is trying to tell her, you can be somebody, you can do something. And then, of course, ultimately, the the when he, and that's the first time he calls her Wanda. I was going to say, yeah, that's an interesting, I was noting that. And then, of course, after he, they successfully tie the family up and they've got the bank manager, he turns to her, he says, you, you, you're really something, mm-hmm. you know? And so I, so I, I actually think he, he wants a relationship as much as he doesn't want to, to admit it. Yeah. I think there is something to the fact that sometimes kind of loner people or lonely people, it's not that they don't want, sometimes they desperately actually want to have human connection, but they've for some reason or another shut themselves off so much from it. And I think part of it is her persistence that she, she is constantly trying to break through the fact that he doesn't want to have those connections mm-hmm. so, so there is something maybe that uh that draws you know dr- draws him to the fact that that there you know what is it that makes her want to stay might be part of what makes him want to keep her but but you know in their relationship you get kind of um all these elements of domesticity uh you know she doesn't cook food for him, but she brings him the hamburger. And then, of course, she has to take the onions off it. He tells her how to dress. I mean, it's it's kind of the classic controlling relationship. And you, mm-hmm. you wonder, you know, <laughs> one critic I read said, one can kind of imagine Ilya Kazan shouting at her, no slacks. <laughs> right. You, know, you, you right. kind of wonder how much of that relationship is in here. There's two really interesting scenes with Mr. Dennis. Um that 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 sort of points to something with him. Uh, I think the scene with his father, um, the fact that 
it's at the the Holy Land USA, I think is what it's called, right? Yes, this right. this like Christian theme park. It, it yeah. was which is a real play. I mean, I, like it was very it was very one of those things again where it's very strange. And then you realize, well, this is a real yeah. this is a real thing. Um, and they don't talk about religion, but the fact that this is where he meets his father. And he has this one, I mean, it's like one of the few moments where Wanda's not in the movie and it's Dennis and his father and his father is talking about like, you know, there are good jobs out there. Are you like, are you looking for jobs? And he tries to give, he tries to give his father money and his father won't take the money. So it seems like his father's sort of aware of the life he's living or something. Mm -hmm. Um, I loved that moment because it's, you don't have to have it in the movie, but it, and it doesn't um, like uh, it doesn't straight line point to something else later where you're like, Oh, they needed to have that there for this reason, but it does sort of flesh out. I mean, I think the, the, um, the presence of religion in that, I don't, I don't even know necessarily what to make of it, but it tells you something about potentially the, the home in which Dennis grew up in, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, and the fact that it is his father, and not his father and mother or his mother, but, you know, so it leads you and thinking about the role that Wanda potentially plays in his life. Well, and you also get, you know, the, the you get the scene in the, in the catacombs and the conversation about those who died a Christian death and then those who are martyrs. And, you know, you, you don't get any direct response to that from Wanda or anybody else, but, but you wonder if, if what's happening there is Loden is kind of setting up, well, you know, here's one vision of, uh, of of a life driven by a particular purpose, and there's a meaning in death. And is that intended to be kind of a contrast to uh, what is the meaning of Wanda's life? You know, mm-hmm. what is the purpose of, of Wanda's life? She may be making that comment. I'm not sure. Well, I think about the intentionality of that scene, because there's on Criterion, there's lots of great feature stuff um, about Loden and yeah. about this movie. And in one of the interviews she gave, she talked about um the process of making this movie and she she actually seemed like this is the way she like she basically said i don't really want to make something that costs a lot of money because that brings with it deadlines and expectations and all these things so she said like one of the great things is she felt free because there was nobody breathing down her neck to be like when are you going to get this finished and she says that they shot not that they shot that their first edit of the film was three and a half hours long and she said that then she and the cinematographer editor, same person, that they went through and they just kept cutting out not stuff that was bad. She said we often cut out scenes that were good scenes, mm-hmm. but we it's like they were carving away to find mm-hmm. what is the story they want to tell. So anything that was kept in here in the movie was like this is something we want to make sure we say. So I I think about that Holy Land scene as interesting because. You could have cut that out, but they didn't. And they cut out a lot of other stuff. In fact, they filmed this movie way past the ending of the movie. She said they cut actually quite a bit. And then they went back and realized this is actually where the movie ends. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think they even do have a scene with Wanda in front of a judge and all these other things. And they ended up getting rid. I mean, I'd be fascinated to know. Mm to like see it, see like a, a breakdown of what was that three and a half hour. I don't know that I want to watch the three and a half hour cut, but I'd love to know, like, <laughs> yeah. what are the other story beats of that? Yeah. yeah. Um, the other scene that I thought was interesting and, and it, it, it was one of those moments where it's like, I don't know what to make of it. And I wanted, I was excited to ask you like, is the scene with the, the, the airplane 
the, the oh, yeah. remote yeah. control air because that seems like a crescendo moment and i'm like and it's right after he talks about you know what do you want and you know and, and if you don't want anything you're not if you don't have anything you're not anything and and then he's like yelling at i see i can't tell if he's yelling at the dogs or at the airplanes or what he's yelling at but it's definitely highlighting this airplane that's circling them yeah i think he's yelling at the airplane um that was that was now another again that was another one of those just completely improvised things uh they were parked there and they and the and the guys happened to be flying the airplane and so they just decided to use that to use that moment um you know so so you know why did why did they keep it in i don't know it's 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 almost like Mr. Dennis becomes almost like a kid at, the, at that point as he stands, you know, it's like the way a kid would come back, come back. Um, so I, 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 to me, it was just giving you kind of another, another side of, of, of Mr. Dennis and the desire to control and the inability, the inability to control. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, then we get to the bank robbery and there's these two sort of clear moments that Dennis is sort of is in over his head. And they're both moments that Wanda bails him out of. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it seems like things are like he had been, you know, kept hammering into her, you know, here are the steps, here's the plan. And then Anderson basically wrestles the gun away from him and Wanda's the one who picks it up. And then they're about to drive off and Wanda Wanda points out to him, you haven't given me to the keys to this car. Yes. And you realize like, like th- those are bad omens for, for yeah. what's going yeah. to happen. And then something, she does something in the drive, which I love, which is. I always think about this in movies where like a car is following another car is like everybody else doesn't know they're in a movie. Like the other drivers don't know they're in a movie and that this car. So like they're like in traffic, a car just gets in between them and then another, and then Wanda gets lost. And it's like, that again is such a very real experience, you know? And I, I think about that every time I watch a movie where people are, someone's following someone in a car is like, I'm not a good enough driver to stick with somebody. I'm going to get lost. And to see her get lost was like, Oh, I love that. She put that in there. And then that sets up obviously the, what was going to be an ill-fated attempt anyhow, because it's not because Wanda's not there that the bank robbery doesn't work. It's because she gets lost that she's not t- wrapped up in it. Yeah. Well, can I also say one more thing? This is something I brought up in the past, um, Sam, that it's always interesting to me to think about the available technology at the time the film was made and the technology we have now. So she wouldn't get lost now because she'd have a GPS or she'd have some kind of app telling her where to go. So I, I love the fact, I mean, so I love the fact that it works as a as a as a plot element because she really doesn't have any choice. Whereas if you're filmed today, there'd be no reason for her not to know exactly where to go. Right. It's also interesting that the movie doesn't end with the bank robbery. And right, it doesn't right. even end with like the outplaying of that entirely. That this and this is where I think it indicates this longer film. Yeah, that they made because all of a sudden you then cut to her. I mean, she's an innocent or she's a not innocent. She's a bystander. You know, mm-hmm. when she gets to the bank and she kind of blends in with them, but then she's in a bar with this soldier. And then we have this sexual assault that happens. And it's interesting because Wanda, who is this passive person throughout the movie, this is a moment of clear resistance from mm-hmm. her. And yeah. it makes me wonder, like, is this a change in her or was she uh didn't feel the need to be resistant at other times, Mm. you know, like, um, but then this leaves her, you know, out, out into the woods. And then she, it's almost like she just like trickles into this parking lot of this roadhouse 
and gets pulled into this uh this bar at the end where she's given beer cigarettes and a hot dog and then we get this sort of freeze frame um what do you make of the the post bank robbery part of this movie as like as a conclusion to this film okay so i i think it's i think it is really interesting uh for a number of reasons sam first of all you know we talked earlier about how the film becomes a heist film but it really doesn't. It's like there's a heist film within the film because you're right. If it really were a heist film, it would be over at the robbery. In fact, if it really were a heist film, she wouldn't have become disconnected from Mr. Dennis. She would have been arrested with him, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the first thing it tells me. The second thing it tells me is we see her immediately after the robbery returning to her former I mean, she, she kind of goes back to the beginning of a relationship with Mr. Dennis, right? Mm-hmm. She goes back to a bar. She goes back to drinking beer. She goes back to hanging out with meeting this guy. But as you pointed out, this time she resists the advances. So that's, this tells me that she actually has gained some agency through the experience with Mr. Dennis, that she now knows how to assert herself, how to say, hey, that's not what I want. But it doesn't end there. It goes all the way to the final roadhouse scene. And I think it's a twist of the knife because she's discovered that her agency is only one more way of saying what I don't want. And it hasn't yet told her what I do want. Mm. And I think the film ends the way it does. And it's kind of an homage to Truffaut's 400 blows with the freeze frame at the end. The film ends by saying, this is it. This woman is stuck in never knowing what it is that she wants and only knowing what it is that she she, do, she doesn't want. Um, there's a line from her, one of the early review of the Times where, where uh, somebody says, what the film is saying is, where do you go after you reject the only life society permits? And once a woman gains her freedom, what can she do with it? The answer, nowhere and nothing. And I think that's what Loden is saying at the end with that scene. In an interview that she gave and i can't remember which one of these it was i was listening and i I wish i could find it because now i I feel like i'm about take what i say with a grain of salt in terms of if it's accurate or not but i i feel like she said in that freeze frame that in one cut of the film they actually like superimpose like a red spider web over it and then they thought that was too obvious yeah yeah, they took it out and again, I could be wrong. And maybe she was just talking about that was the idea of it is like, yeah, yeah. is like, she is like, that is the realization of, of sort of that, that in some ways, like the things that are, that are holding her are not just her lack of agency, but it's also this larger thing around her that mm-hmm. she, um that she can't necessarily get out of. Um. Do you have other things you want to talk about with this, with this? Because one of the questions I'm going to ask you, and I think you really kind of answered it is like, um does Wanda have an arc in this movie and I think I think like that without that last scene I wonder but but or with the the last couple sequences I feel like like there 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 is something something clear there um yeah I I wanted to say something about the the place of the film in the canon you alluded to this earlier uh Sam and and the and the sight and sound list and the Criterion Collection are two really great examples of how both of those have helped to transform the canon over the over the past uh, several years, several years. But one kind of interesting idea that I ran across in, in one critic was asking about why why do you have a film like Jean Dielman 
at the top of the criterion list and until recently a film like Wanda being um, relatively ignored, you know, and, and, and what's, and what's the difference uh, between similarities and differences between those, those two films and those two characters. And she says, well, what, what and, and why, and more specifically, why has John Dielman become a kind of icon for feminists and Wanda a very troubling character for, 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 for feminists? And she says, well, one thing you could say is one was too good at housekeeping, the other not good enough. Um, but the main thing for her was, she says, in, in Ackerman's film, men are peripheral. Ackerman similarly shows you a woman has really taken charge of her life. And in Wanda's case, it's the men that cast this kind of huge shadow over her. So it's interesting, but I think you could call both of them feminist filmmakers in different in different ways. I think you could say that Loden is a filmmaker uh, as a feminist, if I could use that label. She's just trying to show the reality of women's lives. And Ackerman is also showing the reality of women's lives and showing a very different response to that to that reality yeah no it's funny because the next question i was going to ask is if you could pair this with the movie and my movie was going to be john dealman i think i think those two uh, i also i mean why is john dealman number one in in wanda number 48 i i mean i really thought this movie was interesting and good i think I think Chantel Ackerman might be a better filmmaker though. Like I really, I think John Dielman is, is such a, such a more like formally interesting movie. And um, yeah, I mean, so, so, so I think there's that too, is like, it's not just about being a feminist piece is like, now we can say here are two women filmmakers, both making great films is one film like greater in, on some of yeah, these other yeah. scales. And I think, I think the 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 ozuness of of um of Ackerman yeah. and some of those other things like that's that is is really pretty thrilling to me to watch. And I and I should point out that that Wanda always had a high reputation in Europe. Uh, but it, I, I was trying to get more at the sense of why was it kind of ignored in the United States? It, we didn't say this before. It opened in one theater in New York. Hmm. And that was it. Um, and then it just then it just disappeared. Well, and and I will say, I mean the the restoration of this film is pretty remarkable when you look yeah. at older footage of of the um of the film like like it was it was in pretty rough shape and this yeah. looks this actually looks really great does, considering does. what it is yeah. yeah well the other thing i want to say sam is just uh, whether people have been with us for the last few episodes or not that um i said at the beginning i was chosen this chose this because it was one of uh film by a woman filmmaker on the site soundless but i also chose it as part of an arc where you know we started out with um my life to live which would be another film i would pair with this film mm-hmm. in a sense i i sort of have uh and then we looked at cleo from five to seven um also you know my life to live of, of about a woman trying to take control of her life cleo from five to seven about a woman wondering am i going to have a life so i kind of wanted to I, I kind of wanted to put these films into kind of dialogue with each other. Absolutely. So what do you have for us for next week? Well, I have a pairing. I, this, this is my pairing with Wanda. I do think she knew John Dillon would be a great pairing. I got a different pairing. This is going back to um, the director of Cleo from five to seven, Anya Sparta. Uh, this is not a film of hers, which is on the sight and sound list, but I actually think it's a truly great film. Uh, it's from 1985. And the title will give you a clue as to why I'm pairing it with Wanda. The title is Vagabond. 
Oh, okay. Um, and it is another uh, film that's got a decent, a very nice treatment on the Criterion Channel. And um, I, I think a um, conversation between these two films would be real, will be really interesting. Uh, and Vagabond is also a very interesting film to think about genre at the same time. Well, I am excited to watch more Varda. I loved Cleo, and uh, I'm, I'm, and and I've, I've in researching that movie. I, I read so much about Varda broadly that I was like, I. It's one of the things I almost did over this break we had was I, I, I went through and you know started to to watch some things that were on my to do list, and uh, I didn't watch any Varda, but it was that was stuff on my list. So I'm really excited to get this opportunity, Barrett. Thank you so much for. Um, drawing attention to wanda uh from this list and for for recommending this um it is not a uh it's a hard movie to watch in certain ways um but it's but but it was really it was really powerful and again the the realism i mean i i guess i I keep saying this but every space they were in felt so real and i was thinking about what i mean by that and i think part of it for me and this may just be the location of like when i was born um but i was born in the late 70s you know late 70s grew up late 70s early 80s and there is something about this is going to sound very strange but like i think when i dream my dreams are often set in like childhood locations so when i watched this it there was this weird familiarity that i couldn't quite put my finger on and i think it's like i am i think i dream in like 70s locations in a certain way and this just this resonated with that in such a powerful way um yeah like in some of the bars that they're in and some of the 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 um kind of commercial spaces they're in i've obviously didn't grow up in coal country but some of the other places just like like there was a weird memory of things i couldn't i couldn't possibly have actually remembered but it but it it uh it resonated with me so uh i presume somebody who lived through the 70s may have a different feel about that you know lived through that in a in a more complete uh grown-up way but this was a really fantastic movie i highly recommend it um and i think it does pair well with a lot of the other things that we've been watching so that is all the time that we have but we will be back next week to talk about vagabond in the video store.